Well, it's been a while since last we were in the Ten Commandments with being away or COVID or whatever else I had there and unspeakable things that I had to uh, um, uh, submit myself to at the hospital. But anyway, uh, back in the pulpit of a Lord's Day evening, back to the Ten Commandments. And we have reached commandment number eight. We read again the Ten Commandments to refresh our minds as to their content. And they don't come much shorter than the Eighth Commandment, as we have it in Exodus 20, verse 15, You shall not steal. The title of the sermon is this, Having Respect for Others' Property. Short commandment it is, but it covers much. And as with all these commandments, it invites us to explore our heart attitudes. Because what will we find there? Well, under the headings, as it were, of these commandments that to deal with our treatment of our neighbor. Well, the breaking of those commandments, whether being an offense to God, shows absolute and utter selfishness on the parts of us or whoever it is who is breaking those commandments. It shows total disregard for our neighbor, as though we're dismissing them as irrelevant, that we're the only people that count and that we can make up our own rules and get what we want, uh, whoever it is, at whoever's expense that it is, whether it's their their life or perhaps uh, the reputation there that we, if you will, kill. We looked at adultery, didn't we? And uh, all of the horrors that uh, we see in our present culture, that's always been there in all culture, and the sadnesses that uh, follow when there's breakdown in family life, breakdown in marriage, uh, and so forth. But here we come again to a commandment that looks at our heart attitude, doesn't it? looks at selfishness. But that is what it's saying, isn't it? If you steal something, we're saying in effect that I want this and I don't mind that it's at your expense. I will have it and it doesn't matter what you think about that. Although perhaps conscience will fight back. We'll have a little look at that as we go along. But we'll find this commandment is repeated in the New Testament at various points. So Romans 13, which brings a quick summary of the Ten Commandments, as Paul here in this portion of his letter to the Romans explores the ethical implications. You justify by faith, well and good. Does that mean we sin? No, it doesn't. It means we uphold the law. What does the law look like? Well, it looks like the Ten Commandments. So he says, Romans 13, just reading from verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Every break of that commandment or those commandments just listed there is to do harm to our neighbor. It is to do damage. And it is to assert instead that we're more important, our needs, or as we perceive them, than the harm or the damage that we do to our neighbor. So in Romans 13, just uh, well, we've had Ephesians chapter 4, we read that, and it said there, do not steal. Those who steal should steal no longer. Again, drawing upon the commandments and just giving an application there, which Paul does uh, in that particular location. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 2, there in verse uh, 21, talking here to the, the Jews who make their boast in the law. Well, they have a law, 
Paul says, but yes, but do you keep it? And he says to them, you therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? And the answer is, yes, you do, because everybody breaks the law. And as we go on through the commandments and as we go through this commandment, we'll see that uh, well, it's not literally that uh, you or I might be guilty there of uh, robbing the bank or uh, uh, if you can find a bank these days, they've all disappeared, haven't they, just? But if you could find a bank and rob it, but perhaps uh, we haven't quite done that or uh, have fingers in the till, that kind of thing. But there are other ways, other ways in which we can steal, in which we can be found guilty, in effect, of the kind of robbery that Paul is here confronting them with. Do you say you do not steal, but do you yourself steal? And uh, there'll be plenty that he has to say on that. We had, as I say, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and how that uh, admonishes us there regarding uh, one who steals should steal no longer. Let him rather labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. There's the teaching, and we can find similar teaching in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 to 10 here, talking really about uh, about servants. And the instruction that is, is given to them is entirely along those lines. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour, in all things. So there is uh, spoken at that point. Well, Judas, we learn, was a thief. That was one of uh, the Lord's own uh, disciples, but he knew one of them was a devil. And this is the crowning sin of his, that he was a thief. And that's the description, John chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, this is when Mary was anointing our Lord's feet there with that expensive oil. So why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. So that's the summary of the man, breaker of the eighth commandment in a very spectacular way. He had how deceitful and how hypocritical, kind of complaining there about this waste of this expensive oil that's being put on our Lord's feet. So he says, no, she's doing a beautiful thing for me. She's preparing me for my burial and what's done will be told of her in days to come. And Judas will be remembered, not for his devotion to the Lord, but for his betrayal, the one who betrayed him. And there he is, as if he cared about the poor, as if he cared there about the money and its proper use. He was stealing it. And what hypocrisy, therefore, he was guilty of. People can smile while they're busy there cheating you and defrauding you. Such is human nature. So it is saying, we're the only people who matter. Our wants, our desires, what is of interest to us, what we think will serve our purposes. That's what matters. And if it does harm to you, too bad. In which case, of course, there is no love in that. Well, my first heading, property is not all a bad thing. Property is not all a bad thing. There's been a sort of controversial issue at times through the years. And some Christians have thought, well, let's sell up. Let's not have any property of our own. Let's sell it all up and we'll have, as it were, uh, a common purse. Well, the Lord, in the Old Testament, for instance, great, great weight was placed upon the land and the ownership of it. And that it wasn't just 
something everybody could just willy-nilly kind of use it as they would, that it was very carefully circumscribed. It's your land. Certain things neighbours could do, but certain things they certainly couldn't do, because it was yours. It was your property for your enjoyment. It was there for your livelihood. It was there for your well-being and security. And nobody could come and just sort of interfere with it and do you harm in that way. So in Deuteronomy chapter 23, an interesting situation here, verses 24 and 25, it reads, When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck their heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Okay, your ownership, as it were, your property rights, well, there were certain... Uh, uh, concessions that were there, your neighbor could, uh, they're traveling through and in need, they could take a little, but they couldn't go the combine harvester through your standing corn. They couldn't say, well, this is um, something good here. Right. Well, I'm not going to just take a little here. I'll take the lot. Thank you very much. No, you're not allowed to do that. Or if, um, if you, uh, could uh, just eat a few grapes that you pluck enough just to help yourself and sustain yourself traveling through. Yes, but you're not then to take a whole sort of crate load of them and think, well, I'll have those for the rest of the week. I'm set up now. No, it's just to meet your immediate needs. Otherwise, there it is. That property belonged to the other person. You must not take what belongs to them. That's their livelihood. Those grapes are going to pay for their family and their household needs. You can't just treat it as if it is your own. And the law there in the Old Testament as in all societies, protects the ownership of property, protects the rights of property owners, defends them against thieves or people that try to steal their land and how many boundary disputes there are. The newspapers there, I think they'd all die on their feet if it weren't for all these neighbours falling out over property boundaries and who owns this or their hedge doing something weird and overgrowing their garden fence and it all ending up in court. Uh, solicitors and lawyers, dream ticket this is. But there it is. Their law is there to uh, impose what's right, and the small print of deeds, what, who owns what there, and the lines, and how carefully that they are drawn. And if you can prove that the law is on your side, well, that's it. The law will back you up and prevent others from encroaching on your property, taking your property. So we can see the importance that God places upon it. Because, of course, it's not just your property, as if that's it. You sort of sit there with your, your property and just sort of hold it and feel pretty okay about yourself with it. It's, it's your means of livelihood. It's your means of survival. If you didn't have a home with a roof over your head, well, what would you do? If you didn't have a, a cloak to keep you warm, it's so important you couldn't hold that in pledge there for somebody was poor and you had their cloak, you have to give it back to them. You can hold on to that forever in a day because they'd, they'd die else with it. It's a property. And it should be returned to them forthwith because so much tied up with property, possessions to be honoured and respected because they were so, so important for the survival of our neighbour, indeed of ourselves. Well, the opposite of no property, we'd have to say for the most part, looks pretty much like anarchy. And there really is not much good to be said about anarchy. People talk about it in sort of romantic terms as, oh, ah, oh, this is it. We all just be there to 
express our inner goodness and everything will be fine. Just watch. Well, just watch. As soon as the police withdraw from an area, looting follows. As soon as there's a sort of breakdown there in policing, we saw a bit of it, didn't we, there in the, uh, the spring, summer 2020 in American cities. And it wasn't very pretty. The police had to stand back when they were having a hard time and city mayors were complaining about them and calls of being at least uh, some nature there to defund them and, uh, uh, and restrict what they were doing. There's a green light to looting, to all kinds of arson attacks, points, scores being settled. It wasn't pretty at all. You had cities there on fire or suburbs of them, and that was what anarchy looks like. Public ownership. Communism took that to the, the nth degree and uh, declared all property there to, to be theft, as it were, and uh, took it all into public ownership. But, well, we know, I think we know well enough the history of communist nations that seem to follow a very similar trajectory. Well, private property ownership soon finds its way back. And those at the top of the, the, the tree, as it were, the top of the pyramid, the party leaders, the high ups in the communist party just somehow seem to have private property of their own and uh, seem to be pretty okay, actually, and looking after themselves there very nicely. Of course, there was so much corruption that went with it, so much bribery, and that kind of culture still prevails in communist countries in Eastern Europe, sadly, to this day. No, that didn't work too well at all, and uh, people who lacked the property, well, often they just felt very low, very depressed, and very cynical about things. So that's just a very, very quick generalization or, or two on that. Because the Bible would say property is not all a bad thing. My final heading will qualify that because it, of course, can be an idol and a god. But at its best, properly and modestly, in moderation, there is everything to be said for it. And God's law is on the side of those who own property, that they should have their property, enjoy it, and not have it taken from them. Well, second heading is this. Stealing is personal. Stealing is personal. It is selfishness. We've said that already. It's an act by somebody against their neighbor. They may not know their neighbor. They may not know the precise identity of whoever's house they're breaking into, of his car that they're stealing. But it is personal. And in a way, whoever's doing the stealing has to, if they know the person, kind of depersonalize them and strip away their, their rights and their needs and what may be valuable and important to them, so that instead they can simply assert their own selfishness, their own sense of entitlement to the property of others. Because, of course, you're not simply just taking a piece of property, although you can just stick a value on it. Well, oh, sure, it's got a resale value. I'm sure quite a bit of stuff turns up at car boot sales and the rest of it there that's had a, an interesting and checkered pass. But it, things of sentimental value that disappeared, that had no resale value, but which were value to that family. Things that perhaps been in the family for years and years, generations, gone in a moment. Let's see if you think about that. So they stopped to think, oh, wait a minute, this poor person, I'm taking something here that may be of real sentimental value. Well, dream on there, rather. It looks as if they totally override it. And any pangs of conscience, any qualms they might have, 
uh, are lost, somehow trampled on, the voice of conscience beaten back in order to get that thing. Take that, which looks to have some benefits to the person stealing it. But what else does it do? Well, of course, it shatters a person's sense of peace and security. There's nothing worse than having your home broken into, not just for the fact that you've lost perhaps some valuable property or things of sentimental value, but just the thought that somebody has been in your own house, that they broke in, that they were keeping you under surveillance and uh, kind of casing the joint. But then they thought nothing of trampling on something sacred, your own privacy, your own space, and that they came in and acted in that way. And we feel sullied, we feel violated, and we can feel very fearful. Something we thought was ours and safe and protected, that that was our space and no other neighbor, whoever it might be, anonymous neighbor, uh, could come in, but they did. And the horror of that can be very difficult to cope with. People can feel very, very insecure, fearful, shattered, their confidence and their security gone. And uh, go the cameras and everything else there, and go the barbed wire and prickly hedges or anything else there to deter any potential thieves. That's the fact. And sometimes they live in localities where they very much are needed. But that is what is lost too. That's stolen away. Somebody's comfort, somebody's peace, their sense of well-being, security. That's been, that's been broken up. And uh, that has been just so wantonly and cynically uh, violated. Shows there a total disrespect. And of course, some thieves are very hardened people. They've done it so much, so often to so many people that they hardly give it a moment's thought. Their conscience now is seared as with a hot iron and they barely, uh, barely there give it uh, another moment's thought, whatever that meant. And those who robbed from pensioners there, and we feel what low life to do that. How, how could they? And people there living, obviously not in great wealth, indeed in quite considerable poverty. And yet uh, their possessions, that's fair game. And indeed, of course, some dear old people there are so trusting and uh, believe the story that you're from the water board or the gas board and you've got to come in to turn off the mains or something. They'll follow the story. Low-hanging fruit, easy pickings. And you marvel really at people that can do that, can defraud elderly people, cheat them out of perhaps their life savings or indeed their own sense of security, uh, who need a sense of security because they know they're vulnerable. They can't fight off attackers there. They're often <laughs> quite a quite admire the pluck of some pensioners who wave a stick or two at some youth and send them skedaddling. Well, we, we appreciate that when that happens, but that's rare, I suggest, and it's more often the case that the elderly just left there vulnerable to the uh, attacks and the thefts of other people. And those who do it must indeed have pretty hardened consciences not to have any respect for the property the well-being, the income, the livelihood, the security, the survival, perhaps, of their neighbour. Well, this is the moment there that uh, my children will be waiting for if they're listening, because uh, unearthed, uh, as my daughter, I think, we first found this on the BBC News website back in, in February. Uh, youth there in Leeds who stole cars, and I uh, reckon he was pretty good at stealing cars. And so he would go around and uh, pinch this car and that car and 
kind of quite fancied himself at doing it and uh, gave himself a few monikers, a few names to uh, to kind of uh, go with his his sort of status as the man who can steal cars in an instant, a twinkle of an eye, he's in, he's got your keys, and he's down the road there in, in your smart motor. Well, how is it that I'm able to talk about him? I could even give you his name if you so wish, because he posted all this on social media and uh, public social media as well. It wasn't as if it was just for his friends and, hey, look, how about that? Uh, no, he posted it on social media. And uh, described how, you know, he's always one step ahead of the police and how he could uh, get your car keys uh, there in two minutes flat and you're you're gone. You won't even know he's done it. Well, you didn't know he's done it because he put it on social media and uh, placed it there. And, uh, well, of course, uh, the police uh, couldn't miss that. And uh, he's doing three years apparently now, even uh, even forecasts for three years. He reckoned he'd be behind bars and in that he got it pretty right. I think he'd been up before. The magistrates uh, previously had warned him, uh, but he couldn't stop. And when he was uh, prosecuted, the, the prosecution team said he showed such disdain for those that he stole from. In fact, he stole some of these cars and run up to Christmas and they had Christmas presents in. Well, I don't know for whom those were intended or what they were, but that was it. It was a sort of callous disregard for everybody else. And instead, uh, a rather kind of me, look at me, how clever I am. That's he then boasts about all of this on social media and uh, gives himself various names. Well, if you need to know, I'll tell you, the B-Town grafter there. And uh, that causes my son there quite some mirth and merriment. The uh, kind of name there, hardworking B-Town, something to do with Birmingham. I think that has, but he's in Leeds, so don't ask me why. Uh, but he's in prison now. And there he is. And uh, we just hope, I guess, it's kind of an amusing part to it, but I, I hope that he's learned. I hope but that hardness, that cynicism, that disregard for his neighbour, uh, that that somewhat has subsided. I suspect, of course, he's probably pinching cars at the high end of the market there. Uh, when I lock up our car at night, if my neighbour sees me do it, I say, well, who am I kidding, eh? Uh, locking our car there, <laughs> who, who's going to pinch that? But uh, perhaps the B-Town Grafter, if he hears this, will be on, on my tail when he gets out. We shall see. But stealing is personal, and it shows as with this young man, a callous disregard and disdain for the property of of others. But there are other things too. We, we were thinking that stealing, well, you who teach do not steal, do you steal? And it can go in various ways. How about this one? People lie on their CV. Okay, so we're entering into Ninth Commandment territory as well. They lie. They embellish their CV. They put on things which maybe just bear untruths or so embellish the truth that it becomes an untruth. And there it is, and they promote it, and if they interview well, oh, the whole thing can sound convincing. I think at the job. And somebody else didn't get the job. Somebody perhaps who's better qualified. Somebody who just put on the CV, the facts, what their achievements were, didn't embellish them, didn't hide them, but didn't add a sort of gloss to them, certainly didn't invent them. But the invented CV, the invented qualifications and achievements, well, it eclipsed the other person. They lost the job. They didn't get it. And in a way, that is stealing, stealing from a better qualified person. Or in football, if you can allow for a bit of football here, a bit of a delicate subject with Derby County these days, I know, but we'll press on. That a cynical tackle, 
Some fleet of foot attacker got through, and some rather plodding defender can't really catch up, so they just do a cynical tackle. And maybe that very talented footballer sustains an injury from that tackle. Maybe it's a career-ending injury. And one looks there, well, they've been robbed. They've had a career stolen from them by that, that cynical tackle. Lies that people tell, bad-mouthing people, well, it takes away their reputation and their good name. It's a form of stealing. Rob from a person their reputation, their honour, in the eyes of other people. You diminish them. And that is to steal from them, to take away from them. That They've lost something. They've lost a place. They've lost some status. They've lost some honour, perhaps, that they might even have been entitled to. Gossip and rumour, lying. Well, that steals from people. Wasting people's time. <laughs> How about that? Well, we're all guilty of that, I'm sure, on occasion there. But yeah, wasting people's time. Steals from people. How often public authorities just getting foolish, needless sort of calls and things that stop them actually doing their job. Police. Well, it's an offence, isn't it? Wasting police's time. That actually you're stealing from society. The police should be getting on with the job out there, catching B-town grafters and the, that like. But instead they're bogged down with some vexatious complaint, some bit of neighbourly dispute that really didn't have perhaps to get that far, but ended up in the police's domain. In a way, that's stealing. <laughs> that's stealing time from society. Or complaints or trivia, pet obsessions, burdening people with these things. That, that's stealing from each other's time in that way, valuable time. Time is short. We look to redeem the time. Are we? Are we wasting people's time in some way or other with that? Laziness. Laziness. Well, that's stealing from other people. We're just not pulling our weight. We're not making a contribution that we could make. We can't as we get older and health packs up and the rest of it there that we know. But it, it can be that slothfulness and laziness, and there's plenty in Proverbs to speak about that, is stealing from other people. Because they're having to do that job. Well, they could be doing something else with that time. But you've prevented them because, well, you or I, whoever it is, we've, we've just not pulled our weight there. And so there are a host of ways in which we steal. And that stealing is personal. And, uh, though we might uh, think, well, the police there, society in a sort of bigger sense, but that's real people. That means that the police perhaps didn't go around to see that elderly pensioner who had just lost something. They didn't get there quick enough, didn't offer the reassurance. Or so many we hear crimes and they say, well, we're just not going to bother turning up. What did you lose? Oh, I can't be bothered with that. We haven't got time for that. We lost something big, we, we'd come. I heard of the local authority. Um, somebody had moved up to the, the area, uh, not far from here. Let's see where they moved from, but city not far from here. Anyway, uh, surprised, come out into the country, living near a farm that, well, guess what? The cows moo, and you get smells coming from farms. That's what farms are about, folks. Well, no, they complained to the local authority. This was an environmental nuisance, the cows mooing, this dreadful smell that was coming. And the council officer had to go out to the farmer and sort of smile and say, we're just going to go through with this, you know, don't worry. Uh, I just got to fill out this form. And Julie did, and uh, the farmer had to waste a bit of his day, and this local authority person had to waste some of his day just going through this charade. And they had to go back to the complainant and say, well, 
what do you expect cows to do? They're going to moo and uh, you better get over it. And uh, if you don't like it, well, let's go back to where you came from. We'll find somewhere where there aren't any cows or farms which produce smells. Wasting time. Stealing is personal. We're stealing from somebody else who's not getting that service from a public employee, who's not getting that, that help that they might actually really need. Well, I said, uh, final heading, that property, God allows for it, but it can all go wrong. And property can be a god. In a way, that becomes a form of reverse stealing, hoarding and hogging things that could be a help to others. Then, in a way, we're stealing from them. And in a sense, thereby our property, it's, it's kind of reverse theft. It's denying people help, refusing to give something that might make a difference when we could easily make that difference and not find ourselves there uh, having to switch all the lights off or the heat off. That's what we're going to be doing that in a month or two, aren't we, by what we hear, but nevertheless not facing such dreadful inconvenience. And holding on to things and shutting our heart to the needs of others well, it ruins character. It, it uh, brings something small to us, peevish to us, discontented, restless. Think of Ahab coveting Naboth's vineyard. Well, the king had territories of his own, but he wanted that vineyard. And when he couldn't have it, well, how he sulked, didn't he? It took uh, Jezebel there with her wicked plan to cheer him up that she'd get Naboth's vineyard for him. And did that, of course, by murder, stealing taking another man's property. And Ahab refused at the beginning that desire for property. It was a god. And how unhappy, how discontent he was to be refused there. He got little joy from its possession. As soon as he went down, there was Elijah to meet him and to confront him for his sin. So we can see that uh, possessions can, of course, be gods and scripture is full of some very, very familiar warnings in that regard. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. See, it can spoil character. Not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Well, that's the that's the way of it there. They're not trusting God. They haven't got the first commandment. They've got other gods. They've got property. And it's uncertain. Property's here. One moment it's gone, the next. Well, our B-Town grafter might see to some of that there, or whoever's going to break in through our windows or whatever. And we instead of to trust God, make him, make him first commandment, put him in the first place, be ready to respond to his promptings of us and a good foundation we have for the time to come. Eternal life, building for eternity. In the church, well, the ostentatious display of wealth when there are other people who are not so wealthy. Paul condemns it, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. In Corinth, the church there, factions and divisions one of them was uh, between the rich and the poor. And this is what Paul says for an eating. Each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So in no uncertain terms, he tells them that behavior there of 
that's flaunting their wealth and kind of gnawing the poor in, in, in the midst of the church there. But it's to despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing. So instead, it is to be generous where we can be, to be kind, to be liberal with our property where we can, where it's not going to leave us uh, cast out on the streets or without any means of living or transport or survival. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and just reading from verse 1 there. Moreover, brethren, we made known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great child of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Well, that's that's the kind of way, isn't it, there, where we have opportunity to hold on to resources that really need and perhaps never will we need, but to be willing to be generous. And here's the context of uh, people, Christians in other locations, believers in Jerusalem, Judea, who were time of famine. And the churches in, in Europe were, and in that part of, uh, of Asia, were in, in a better state of repair and better able and better place to, to help them. So if we don't want to waste our liberality on unworthy causes, just as there are worthy causes, there are unworthy ones, there are scams, there are any number, don't get them so much these days now, but any number of uh, letters, uh, begging letters, call them that, but where the genuineness of the work and the, the reality of the need was highly suspect. And uh, that's why we give, don't we, there to people we know and trust and uh, give resources to them because we know that they will do a good thing with those things. So we are to be prayerful in our giving, Outward facing, surely in our attitude, cheerful and positive, because that's also what Paul uh, goes on to talk about there, isn't it? God loving a cheerful giver. That we're not to think, mm, just parting with something there and sort of rankles or we're unhappy about that, but to be actually very positive about it, very cheerful about it, thinking about the good that it's doing rather than the loss that it is to us. We're looking to be good stewards and uh, that's the best use of property. And uh, that's being good to our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourself there, not stealing in that way by just holding on to things that we don't really need. Well, each of us there, we have to, only we know what uh, what our state of our household economy is and uh, with gas bills, electricity bills there kind of hitting the roof and uh, imminently there. I think uh, my next month's one's going to be fun and games. And I'm sure you're all, each and every one of us facing the same. So we have to do only what we can do not giving beyond what we can and ending up there freezing cold with frostbite or something in the winter because we haven't got enough money to pay our own bills uh, or to get ourselves around or feed ourselves. We have to prayerfully, carefully, wisely use those resources, but always there's to be a willingness, an outward lookingness that's ready where we can be to be generous and liberal in our giving as God may give us opportunity. So having them respect for others' property their friends, something along the lines of the Eighth Commandment and what it is saying to us.